Notable absence of a sound check introducing ourselves. Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. Uh, I never play the Who Has It Worse game because I'm a uh, ten times decent champion. human being. <laughs> I was going to say straight cis Anglo white male. It's true. In my thirties, no less. Don't forget um, you're tall. The, you're the you're the court. Yeah, you're cheese tall. People yeah. for people think of short as such uh, such a thing that doesn't require talking about that they don't list tall in the list of things that go well for them. I'm also uh, 6 foot 150 pounds, so there you go. Man, I weigh more than you do. Really? You well, don't look fatter than me. With shoes and um, yeah. clothes and such. Maybe you have muscles somewhere. Yeah, it's as though. Blake, Blake is the core demographic. It's true. It's as though I move your bookshelves by myself. All other humans are really, you start with me and then you, you know, change stuff. Into... Add <laughs> <laughs> hair, yes. Blake, Blake is default human. I don't remo- America. I didn't remove hair until your answer is correct. <laughs> that said, I do know enough about the Who Has It Worst game to referee. In the same way that Brad Maddox trained as a wrestler. Best refereeing skill is crotch uppercut. Which is not a thing we ever did in Delve Night, and I'm really regretful of that at this moment. So, uh... Unless it is a thing we ever did. Mm. You're, you're having that, maybe we did that face. I, I was scanning it all, no. So this is producer Dave, and with me I have... Matthew Highcove, and I'm also going to be in a movie this summer, so where's my world title, Vince? Uh, this is Blake Mushler, and, uh... Yeah, I got nothing. And We can go to the well on that joke once. Awkward (laughs) silence. (laughs) Cricket joke. This is another exciting edition of Storytime with Blake and Highcove. I suppose those trash sessions we usually do. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, no, he's had another exciting one, which implies we've done one exciting one ever. You have I, at least one. The first time it was novel. The second time it was One Piece. And then that didn't see the light of day, so we did another One Piece. Then we did one just talking about pro wrestling. Then we did another one about pro wrestling that invalidated the first one. And then we decided to scrap both of those and do Delve Night. We recorded three Delve Nights. Only one of them made it. We patched it all into the uh, Tiger Blood edition, and that's the one we played. Tiger Blood edition? Yeah. Sounds super familiar. Charlie Sheen. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the joke not, is that he's a tiger. It's not, not familiar tiger. from us. Charlie Sheen is a lycanthrope. Hang on a second, I have to it, twist my mustache. Then he's a lunatic. <laughs> so apparently we promised you guys uh, three months ago and change that we would tell you about uh, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. So, we're gonna. It's a television program on The Hub now. And if you're not watching it, welcome to the internet. There's porn literally everywhere. Go frolic. Because Delve Knights were... You know, had to be something interesting and creative a lot. We went to... Uh, Alternately Metroid. We went to uh, various intellectual properties on uh, a large number of occasions trying to adapt something that was... Uh, I don't want to use a, a strong word like culturally relevant, but... Uh, a strong word like irrelevant. Yeah. Let's back off. We might start using uh, elitist language like sometimes. I've never been accused of failing to compliment myself sufficiently hard. Anyway, the point is, everybody uh, was uh, big into uh, Friendship is Magic at the time, and so I was like, I don't watch the show. It's not that I consider myself too manly to watch the show or anything. I'm actually worried I would enjoy it too much, and I just don't have the time to dedicate to that right now. This is a guy who spent a day talking about the new design for the grown-up Dora the Explorer and how long her hair was and whether that was good or bad. I did? Yes. A A day? Yeah. Damn. I'm glad I've forgotten all that. So anyway... Uh, so I call my good friend Highcove, and I was like, hey. That's me. That's I. Uh, you're coming to DM a thing for me later tonight. I'm writing it right now, because, you know, that's how we do it. Uh, tell me a relevant fact about each of the six main characters in My Little Pony. I know that as much as there are six main characters, because I own a game store. And I told him that he was going to have to wait for me to call him back until after that bank was no longer on fire. But later, later, later we touch base. Oh, you know what? We have crib notes for this. Well, the good news is that 4th edition had six. Six monster types uh, based on their roles in combat. So, soldier, brute, and so on. 
So we picked three appropriate ones, and the rest we just kind of shoehorned in haphazardly. Okay, so Blake good. is looking for it right now. So to fill the void, uh, allow me to sing 16 Tons, popularized by Tennessee Ernie Ford. Dear viewer, we cut out five minutes of shuffling. <laughs> so let's see here now. Uh, Rarity had warp armor. Ah, because she was a fashionista. So the one thing you had to tell me about Rarity was that I guess she is uh, fashionable. And when you think fashion, you think artillery. And that's why Patton was fabulous. Yeah, I don't know why she got to be the, fat, be the artillery. Unicorns do magic, I guess. It makes more sense than just chucking apples at someone. Alright, uh... No, the farm girl was our brute. <laughs> yes, she is. That actually sort of worked. Oh, okay. Fluttershy was a lurker. That made perfect sense. Fluttershy's job was to hide until danger happened. Then approach an ally with the power of friendship. And I guess hug it out. Oh, Rainbow Dash was a skirmisher because Dash is in her name. Uh, it looks like we also made Fluttershy the healer. Uh, you may be starting to put two and two together at this point and realize that we made the ponies the bad guys that the players were fighting. Again, because this is Delve Knight. Yeah, as we mentioned before, players are bad and monsters are good. Oh, right. Pinkie Pie was the soldier based on her prescience for uh, evading damage. Right. Which... By the way, spoilers if you haven't made it to episode six yet. The whole story was that, uh, you know, the they were engaging in some kind of friendship-based magic, because friendship is magic, that was uh, projecting a magical aura over uh, an area of miles, causing people to suffer racking pain if they could not get next to somebody who liked them. Specifically, if you start your turn not next to an ally, you take 50 psychic damage. Which the players reacted to hilariously. Oh yeah, that was good. Especially because there were an odd number of them. The players spent a lot of time fleeing each other to do things which caused a lot of inter-party conflict as people yelled at each other for causing them to take 50 damage it's like why did you leave me now I'm taking damage well because otherwise I couldn't attack I'm a melee specialist it was gorgeous yeah we really enjoyed at that time punishing the players for their 4th edition inspired proclivity to better do some damage every single turn or else you failed we were trying to encourage the players to be friends. I guess by having them kill each other and just redeeming anybody who was left? I don't know. It was, it was a very medieval European war there. I feel as though Julie playing Bratella um, <laughs> was totally... Dear reader, there's a story there. Was totally... Uh, Heedless of this, and like ran off and walloped something, and then died because of brats. Yeah, uh, we, did we explain brat? We didn't actually. We had Delve Knight was built for people to walk in off the street. It, you know, just welcome to Fourth Edition. Here's a character. We're gonna verse you uh, roughly in how how dice happen, how you roll them, and add numbers together. Some people are still working on this. Uh, which dice you roll? The it's just Basically, how does role-playing game, like tabletop game combat, work? And once you understand combat, uh, we assume everything that's good about role-playing will grow from there. Because 4th edition was combat-based. Nobody had a skill challenge. So, for this, we designed a bunch of NPCs at the appropriate level for Delve Knight that any walk-ins could play. PCs. By we... Did I say NPCs? Yeah. Yeah, we, Sorry, we, we NPCs. actually called them the NPCs. Like, that was what we wrote on the box. The box says Delta Knight NPCs. Yeah. You know, that's the only one I saw, if that makes sense. Right. And you chose those based on the minis, right? They uh, were they were some of my favorite minis that we... I think I got, like, 12 or 13 of my favorite minis, mm -hmm. and we sat down and we figured out how to parse them into two characters each for the four roles a player can be. So we had two strikers, two leaders, two defenders, and two controllers. We also had gender parity. Uh, we had four females and four males. We tried very hard for uh, racial parity. We had a dwarf, an elf, one human, a half-elf, and so on. Uh, and I feel as though a warforged made it into the original mix. A warforged did. We also had the bugbear. Brat Dreadcleaver was a bugbear. And he was a good friend of mine. He he became a cultural force. Never understood a single word he said. <laughs> Killed me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, the and a ranger to boot. Oh, Jesus Christ! He oh was, yeah, he was a dual wielding ranger. Yeah, he dual wielded. This was the mini. You this know what? This bugbear howling with a hammer in one hand and a mace in the other. We tried very, very hard to not use any book that ended in power. Yeah. We wanted to show you can make a competitive character with the least... Uh, book investment. Investment, thank you. The least economic investment. So he did not wield crag hammers. If you're a 4th edition person, you know crag hammer. A crag hammer is a one-handed Mordenkrad. <clears throat> a Mordenkrad is a two-handed middle finger. Brat was the most damagingest of the characters. He was one of the two strikers that we had in the in the set of eight. He was also dumb as a dishwasher. Yeah. So <laughs> he was very easy to play. People, This is the kind of character that people new to games like playing. The, oh look, if I die, I don't die in real life. Consequences are hilarious, but they're things I deal with in the other 164 hours of my week. I'm just going to corkscrew headbutt this dragon and see what happens. So Brat was definitely the most played of the Delve Knight NPCs by a wide margin, probably as much as all the other characters combined and then some. In fact, somebody figured out a way to make him even more fun. Acquired the same mini we were using for Brat. Yeah, she she played. De this is uh, this is this person mentioned earlier. She played Brat every week like clockwork. Mm -hmm. Just showed up and been like, I hope no one else has picked Brat because I'm six foot two, and in the core. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Julie was not a person who you would trifle with. She was a prosecutor who could also be an executioner. She she counted as a small gang. Truly a paragon of humanity, that Julie Dysher. But she ended up getting that same miniature, green stuffing a bow onto it, and playing the exact same character. Bratella Dreadcleaver. This served two purposes. One, it no, gave pretty her... Pretty Cleaver. Bratella Pretty Cleaver. Completely different tribe. One, it let her play a character that was hers. One that she could take with her. Two, it allowed us to have two brats in a session. Came in super useful on more than one occasion. Usually when we had two sessions. Hmm. Two people want to play brat, but we only have one mini. That was one of the downsides of the favorite minis thing. They were all unique. Yeah, during the uh, the height of Delve Night, we started to get really good player turnout to the point where we had to actually have two tables with two separate DMs. Now maybe we should just call this the rise and fall of Delve Night. So we got sidetracked for a bit there. Oh yeah, so the, the point is that the ponies had set up this like dangerous, dangerous aura where they all went, they, they were just as subject to it as the players were, so they stayed next to each other, where the power of their friendship protected them from 50 psychic damage. Uh, the players, being to a man, terrible people, had a bit more of a struggle with it. I was there. I am not a terrible person. But you had to be adjacent to an ally. That's true. You needed two people who were not terrible for this to That's work. That's true. Varian squats the toad. So the uh, it turned so they beat down and defeated the six ponies and uh, shut off their magical pain aura. At which point they discovered the reason why the ponies had set it up that they were trying to prevent the return of the Titanic demon pony Sprinkle Gore, a creature of my own invention. No kidding, Sprinkle Gore had no <coughs> friends, thus could not end a turn next to an ally. Thus would take damage every turn. So the ritual was designed to deter Sprinkle Gore. Once we the party got the ritual shut down, Sprinkle Gore appeared. And the, the, the idea as I was writing the session was that they would then be like, Frick, 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 it's a gigantic, like, solo brute, three level, or eight levels? Eight. Eight levels higher than Not us. a solo. Merely eight levels higher. Oh, okay. Fourth edition considers six level higher to be unwinnable. Stop it, you're fired. This is a level 20 versus a level uh, 12 challenge. Anyway, uh, so the thinking was, oh crap, let's get the ritual back up and then watch, uh, you know, and pop popcorn as Sprinkle Gore boils to death in his own uh, loneliness. But then, you know. Then players happened. The players looked at it and said, a level 20 brute. Awesome! And proceeded to plant uh, the body part of their choosing against Sprinkle Gore and just spin. I think someone hit him with an aura, because Sprinkle Gore was a him, right? Yeah, yeah. Sprinkle because, Gore's man. Right, because of course. Blake has not been to the internet. The... Well, we had six female characters. I was trying to create any parody at all. I'm looking at this now, and it turns out Sprinkle Gore has a power that says, Effect, Rainbow Dash makes a fly move. That had limited utility. <laughs> but, the, um... I think somebody hit Sprinkle Gore with a power that dropped all his defenses by five. Mm. Which brought him back down to fair. And the players just unloaded dailies on this guy. And they killed him! Yeah. They killed my unkillable monster. That might have been the beginning of the player punishment arc 
Because when <laughs> I don't like what the players are doing, it's just a thing you deal with. When yeah. Blake doesn't deal with, brother trucker, we are not fix this noise. Yeah. The you know what the week before was the was the uh, the forest adventure. I see the Renaissance Edder cap in here. The Renaissance Edder cap, the Death Jump Spider, the Arachnolips. Before, oh no, this was the tower. Yeah, session. this was when we named uh, the guy Jeff, and we did discuss that last week. Right. Yes. Um, so you picked up last exactly week, where you left one off. week ago. <laughs> did that thing get put up last week? No. No. Oh, okay. I didn't think so. It was put up in '96. <laughs> um, it was put up before Metroid Fusion. You know, one of my favorite things from the Delve Knight NPCs, just going back to that briefly, uh, Damakos was his name. Damakos. Or yes. Damnos? Yeah. He was. Dimacos, I was proud of that guy. Yeah. Dude in a full mask. Because yeah. I didn't have any favorite tiefling minis, but we really wanted to use a tiefling. It was so a really used... popular player race at the time. So we used a guy with a horned helmet and just said, yes, it's molded to the horn. Shut up. This was also neat because we were using that um, DM helper software that we have with it. So uh, the. Now live game screen. Yeah, live game screen. The, the eight NPCs. Uh, were already loaded every night when we brought it up and we had a little icon for them and their HP was already loaded and everything. It was very the healing <coughs> surge values. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good stuff. Which is why it made it so weird when somebody actually came in one time, Ugh, grabbed a Delta Knight NPC and reskinned it to a mini he had brought with him. So it's like, I'm just going to do this, but it's going to be all poison and necrotic damage. Did I do that? No. Oh, okay. Okay, you know what? I'm it, allowed to tell you you did something wrong. <laughs> you know what? Clearly this was not the beginning of the series of I trying to punish him. The series of trying to punish the players, because the next week was the... The uh, series of beginning to punish the players was the moment you hired me. The week before that was the Panty Raid one, and then the week after that was the end of Delve Knight. Is that worth discussing? The Panty Raid? Yeah. Nah. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> I would concur. Oh, you know what? We can talk a little bit about uh, the quest, especially by me, to seek that, like pants shitting moment from the players because I, I, I we managed it eventually there was a but there was a, a long time where it was like the goal of every delve night was to have there be a moment are you recording yeah okay the goal of every delve night was to have there be a moment during the delve night where the players suddenly looked at each other and then looked back with this like oh face and it was like oh crap guys that's not what that means <laughs> do not google it i know what oh face means can, can, do you think, face. can you, like, capture this phenomenon in better words than do, I can? Do, 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 do. Not without swearing. Yeah, You can swear. I can't can. swear. Oh, fair enough. We're only, that, uh, the oh shit moment. The oh shit moment. We are, we, are, we are marked as explicit. You can use whatever language you like. I know. Just, But he has his own rules. I know. The minute where the players realize that everything they thought they had under control isn't under control, and they're now going to have to put in a level of effort above and beyond what they expected from 4th edition, but in keeping with the kind of game that we want them to want. Uh, we want to challenge the player as much as the character. The adrenaline release moment. Yeah. That's good. And as a player, there were a number of those. Yeah. But, I, I, I don't know. Sprinkle Gore was a good one. Yeah. What's Sprinkle Gore was there. When we planted that mini on the yes. table. Yes. Dear businessman and corporate board member, we had a gargantuan My Little Pony demon. All the other My Little Pony characters were large, because this was before the My Little Pony Monopoly set came out, so I did not have six My Little Pony miniatures. Instead, we just had six horses that we cobbled together through begging and borrowing. I'm pretty sure one of them was, like, the hippo hippocampus. <laughs> I got, no, I, I think that might be the actual name of the frickin' animal. It's like a hippogriff. But you're wrong. It's a hippogriff. Yeah. The one with bat wings and a beak. Okay. Bat is hippogriff. Oh, no, hippocampus is their aquatic one that has flippers oh. at the end of his horse legs. Because that's how swimming works. <laughs> uh, we also had... I think we only had one unicorn. There was... No, uh, we did... Uh, the colors were hilarious. No, we you're said, right. This we one's vaguely really one blue, unicorn. so it's going to be Rainbow Dash. This one's not pink at all, but it's less orange than the orange one, so the brown one will be pink. The white one will be represented by this troll, and the trolls will be represented by these orcs. Some years ago, I had made a My Little Pony conversion uh, as a birthday present uh, for a friend who I'd later fallen out with, and we still had that miniature at the it's store. It's me. It's a little... You know, it's just a regular My Little Pony with, uh, like, demonic-looking bat wings and a uh, spiked tail uh, and a slightly beaked mouth all sculpted onto it, and the whole thing was painted red. It was it was good. Turns out it fit perfectly on a 4x4 four four base. Yeah, and it, I just 
stuck it to a four inch by four inch wood base. Yeah. Man, we have a lot of monster origins that are, and then I stuck it to a four by four base. Oh yeah. Um, Wicker Man Tweed, Collider. Well, no, those were on. Oh well, right. But I, I knew what I wanted before I started building those. Train Rex, however, is not. Train Rex is on a. He's not on a base. Four by five base. That are his feet. No, he's six by. He, he's actually six by six. Really? Okay. Yeah. Or no, he's five by five. He is five by five. The big uh, uh, stage two abyss is. Uh, oh, you're right. No, stage three abyss. Stage three abyss is six That's by six. That's a different Delve Knight. That's the tower is. campaign. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the point is, uh, we we started going on this mission to solicit that adrenaline moment from the players because it, it was like. You know, the Delve Knight may or may go, may go up or may go down. Like, we did have TPKs. We wanted there to be a threat of a TPK, but most of the time the party just curb stomped whatever we, it was that we threw at them. There was little middle ground Some, until we, at least we, we got our footing. Sometimes they, you know, found our story for that particular session of Delve Knight compelling. Most of the time they didn't really care and like connecting with them creatively was a really thankless effort that like when it worked didn't even seem like that big a deal and when it didn't work seemed like Nobody cared either, so it was... For example, was... Um, Wallface. Wallface, yeah. Blake found a piece of crown molding that he drew eyes on. <laughs> and the idea that every round, that crown molding would inch across the battlefield. And if you teleported behind it, you would immediately die because... Crushed by gears. Sure, crushed by gears. Uh, let's go with that. Made of poisonous lava. Yeah, Spikes. gears made of poisonous... No, that was the, the other end. Okay. At the other end was a... Hundred foot pit... Into lava poison spikes of instant death, just in case you could survive everything else in the sentence. But Wallface would move forward inexorably, just slowly squishing the battlefield square by square, until I looked at it and said, wait, Wallface moves as a move, and he attacks as a standard, but his move does three times the damage of a standard, and I can do it twice a turn. So, Wallface's speed doubled. Um... And he just ran across the battlefield, crushing everyone. But so few people got that it was a character from Secret of Mana, with a mechanic from Final Fantasy IV. Actually, Wallface and Secret of Mana rolled up on you and eventually pushing you into spikes as well. If you somehow managed to take, like, two hours to beat it. Okay. See, my experience in Secret of Mana is trying to suffer through it and watching the speedrun. Yeah, I don't like Secret of Mana's battle system much. Yeah, that I, trope of a wall-faced monster that squishes or pushes you or squishes you is common in JRPGs. But not one with three eyes. Uh, fair enough. That, that's true. Rangda Bangda. Mega Man X. Read a book! <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Just the players didn't get the reference we were going for. All yeah. they saw was an encounter with uh, a hard time limit in rounds. Yeah. And that, I think you ended up killing them all that time, right? That One was... time, Wallface just got pancaked. The other time, there was nothing they could do. And they, they just got flattened. I can't remember which the order was, but that were the two... the first time, they wrecked it. Yeah, there... The second time, there was a pit in the middle of the room. That ah. meant the central eye was not approachable in melee. As long as it was over that pit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, that was our Blake's bad design decision. It was Blake's. His. <laughs> this guy. Um, another one, another, another, like, time that I tried to do that was by bringing out the main character of, uh, a game very near and dear to my heart, Vagrant Story, which I know that G4 Network voted, uh, I believe, number one most underrated game all, of all time and mo number two most in need of a sequel game of all time. Of course, that was at all time in 2001. But we say that the game was startlingly deep, but the game was only startlingly deep considering the number of people who played it. It was exactly as deep as you would expect for a PS1-era game from Square. This is the era of Final Fantasy VII, the uh, superior in every way, Final Fantasy VI, and the as good as Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, Vagrant Story, in fact, came out right after Final Fantasy nine. One of them. Nine, really? That, might, that it might have been after eight. I know that the whole point of the series is they started working on this game, uh, or at least articles that I read suggested, who knows if they were really reputable sources, that the whole point of Vagrant Story was to be the new Final Fantasy, that they were like, you know what, this Final Fantasy JRPG mold has run its course, we feel like we're having a struggle bringing players back each time where we have to keep escalating and we can't make Final Fantasy 7 every three years. Dear reader, this was six Final Fantasies ago. Right. 
Well, I'm getting Warner to that Brothers part. feels the same way about Harry Potter. I'm getting to that part of the story. John Carter of Mars. So they came out with this game that was supposed to be the new Final Fantasy 1, and it was called Vagrant Story, and their hope was that this would be their new cash cow franchise that they produce a new sequel to every couple of years. And in my opinion, they really killed themselves making this game amazing. It's one of my favorite video games of all time. Kind of hard to follow good. Yeah. Um, That's how I feel about Disgaea. Yeah. So, anyway, and I really loved the main character of this game. One of the interesting things about this game is that uh, you start this game out as a badass beyond measure. The entire setting of the game is more or less engineered to be unsurvivable to a regular human, which is why they send you. There's a cut- To be fair, that's also the backstory for Contra. They have a cutscene just like before the opening credits of the game even start, or like, I guess during the opening credits, before the first level even starts, where uh, a supporting character, the damsel of distress in the game... Um, because this was PlayStation 1 era square. Yeah, let's not even worry about that. Uh, is sitting there looking at like a big manor house where bad guys have taken the Duke's family hostage, and your character walks in, Ashley Riot. He's got anime hair and anime assless chaps and just looks all kinds of badass despite himself. He has the first name of Bruce Campbell's character from Evil Dead and the last name of Riot. Yeah. And uh the Inquisitor, the woman, her name is Merlot, says, Where's the really? where's the reinforcements? Her last look, name is Merlot. Look, bro, the characters in Final Fantasy VII were named Cloud and Earth. Let's calm down. Does it ma- if it made you feel any better, there was a silent S-E at the end of her name, so it was Merlos if you weren't someone who, you know, like... Merlose. Recognized that the whole game was French. Yeah, but the S-E would actually be pronounced in French. Or Frick the S would. Okay. So Merlose. How- okay. Is Riot a terribly, uh... Real. Everything else in the game was, like, super wine-oriented. They wouldn't shut up about fine wine, so I assumed her name was supposed to be pronounced Merlot. Much like Great Fencer Musashi, take a bad idea, run with it until it stops being bad. Or everybody's in a coma. So anyway, he turns around and says, I am the reinforcements, and then proceeds to chop down the rope, holding the portcullis open, trapping the 60-some-odd terrorists in the castle with him. At the end of the tutorial stage... You have killed every single one of those terrorists and a dragon. <laughs> this is this is the guy. What's the problem? What was his mechanic? Ah, yes. So Ashley Ride is a whole treasure trove, actually, of information when it, when it comes to Delphi Knight. So as we were saying, you got this character, and he's super badass. When you get into town, when you get into the beginning of the game, they have a cutscene where they show the bad guys spying on you in a crystal ball, and they're looking at each other. This is the, this is the villain of the game, the main bad guy of the game. Looks at his second-in-command, and the second-in-command says, if this guy catches us, we're done. And you spend the whole game chasing them around this abandoned city, uh, fighting various monsters that they summon to throw in your path. But, like, the point is, you start off terrifying. And I just really loved the character, and so Ashley was a situation where the players didn't really connect to him on a flavor basis, but they definitely got that adrenaline moment out of him. Oh, boy. No one had played Vagrant Story. In fact, that's the problem. No one. No human. Just Blake. Eh, well, you know. Not even this Blake. A different one. Blake Lively. Did I ever lend you that game, by the way? No. We don't have a PlayStation. Yeah. Um, so we express this in a couple of ways that are that are actually interesting mechanically. The big mechanic in the game is uh, this was... I think they actually really based it on Super Mario RPG. Because... Yeah, Super Mario RPG. Because you have the jumping thing where you push a button at a certain time and you can jump the guy. He knows about timed hits. In fact, that was the name of the trope for a while. He knows about timed hits. Anyway, timed hits. Um, and then they made this, like, the basic, co- the main combat mechanic of Vagrant Story, where you run in there and you, you know, go through a menu-based attack system and hit a guy once, but then you can tap a button each time you hit the guy to uh, get an extra attack going. But every time you make an attack, you accumulate a, uh, po- a points called risk points that make your attacks wildly more likely to miss, and you have to just sit around letting the enemies pound on you for minutes at a time to get your risk points to go down again. So you could play it like an RPG and you'll be fine, or you could play it like you're just a whirlwind of steel, roll in there, try and murder everyone, and if you fail, you are, you're done. Yeah. So uh, I loved the idea of what the narrative of this game must, narrative of this game must look like to a regular speed person, because Ashley walks in the room, and 
runs up to a guy, and then swings the sword, and then what follows would appear to be like one of those Dragon Ball Z, he's moving so fast I can't see his punches scenes. Afterwards, he stops, takes a step back, and the enemy, you know, disperses across time and space. We expressed this in two ways on the actual monster. One of them was that he actually had a thing where when he hit somebody, he got a bunch of free attacks that he had basically got to keep making until he missed. But each time he gave himself a big penalty to hitting that he only lost at, you know, a certain rate of per turn. So the idea was that uh, Hykov could drop a huge chunk of damage on a guy, um, on a player, but then he would be at a dramatic disadvantage when it came to hitting for a while. The second way in which this expressed was Ashley's, the, the, the Risk Breaker Initiative System. It's would, not, you, would you like to explain it? It's not even on here. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. It's just, his initiative modifier is an asterisk. Ashley got a turn after everybody's turn. Every one of Ashley's enemies. So that means that Ashley got five turns when fighting five guys. If Ashley killed one of these guys, Ashley got four turns. This is relevant for two reasons. One is that Ashley is terrifying. In that, you know, solos get generally the ability to make two attacks. Maybe Ashley, as many as four. Ashley got five. Just for showing up. This wasn't a weird trick that gave him five. Yeah. This was just a thing that happened. And it wasn't like he was going to attack each player who he just, you know, sweat a turn off of. It's like, ah, my turn B, I'll attack player B. My turn C, I'll attack player C. No. If player A is my problem, then players A, B, C, D, E, and F are my solution. <laughs> yeah, you did... It was also a really nice rubber banding mechanic because as the players got killed... Ashley got less turns. They did. I think one person survived. Yeah. A problem that we struggled with a lot in Delve Knight was the solos just aren't scary enough in 4th edition problem, where a monster that's designed to fight a whole party worth of guys immediately gets locked down by various status ailment abilities, and, you know, like, the fat guy in the party sits on his head while everyone else just coude gras him to death. Ashley was never going to have this problem because he was as terrifying as you. The second reason this was relevant was because of the chain mechanic. Every time Ashley made one of his free attacks, he would gain a risk point. At the beginning of each turn, he would lose two risks, risk points. And risk points are bad. They're like tumors. So, tumors are bad, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not good at medicine. So, Ashley would go up and he would make nine attacks against a guy. And then he would have a minus nine to all attack rolls for a while. But when the... When six players went, Ashley would lose 12 risk points. When there was only one player left, Ashley was at a much greater disadvantage in how deep he could go into that attack hole, because it would take him forever to come out of it. I remember during that first Ashley Riot session, the, the, when I think that they really... It, it, the, the, the adrenaline moment sort of came to them gradually, because the first player went, and then... Because, you know, we I think we had DM, our live DM screen at the time. Maybe. Uh... I don't remember having a picture for him. He did, you, you know what, you didn't. He didn't show up in initiative. I so was the, still, I might have still been tracking things in Excel then. The players rolled initiative. The first player went. Because, you know, Ashley can never go first. That's the first true. player went. And then Iko said, my turn. And Ashley went up and, you know, probably shot someone with a crossbow and then chained off it, I should think. Since he started across a river from them. Probably. And I just did one of the things that was cute. You know, one of the ones that does... 2d6 damage, something that's not digging my well too deep, because I wanted to do that later. Then the second player goes, and then uh, the third player, because the players know what their own initiative gets ready to go, and Hikov's like, no, 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 it's my turn again. I'm like, what? This this happens. The bay here has two initiative passes. He always goes at 20 and 50, or 25 and 20, something like that. So, so Ashley takes the second turn. Yep. Player three goes. Hykov cuts off player four to take his third turn, and that's when the players started to realize the mess they were in. <laughs> Especially in light of the damage he had thrown down in those first two turns. They're like, we have to eat six of these? Because I think there were six people. Yeah, it was six. Then things got scary. Because Ashley was much stri uh, stronger in melee. Oh yeah, he had the push thing. Push, he, had, he pushed people three squares. Because I know he kicked, he kicked Laura into the river. And she spent the whole... 
like, session trying to crawl out of that river. Swimming through that river, climbing up the ladder, crossing on the Mario-esque moving platforms to the other side of the chasm while Ashley Riot went around the bridge, so she got back on the moving platform, which actually at that point had scrolled away, so she had to wait for it to come back, then get on it, and that was her turn. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, he went about, you know, the, the, he went about the, the process of disassemb- disassembling the other characters. I remember Noe lying on the ground, Ashley shooting him in the face with a crossbow and rolling a natural one three turns in a row, where a two would have killed that player. That's what made that fight survivable. Just that stretch of bad damage. But it was, I remember that it was a really intense, like, exciting moment. So admittedly, it wasn't because of good design on my part. But, but and you know what? Beyond no, all, you, you've used this mechanic in other campaigns. You subsequently yeah, yeah. use it. It is a good mechanic. The, it works the, really well. The solo that takes a turn for each one of your turns as like a you have to rep- solve them in a different way. Oh. It means that save ends effects are trash mm-hmm. until end of turn effects are the new god. Worship them. Worship them like a helix fossil. There was also, um, you know, uh, just as a little side note, did we say anything about Evan's solo saver before? Uh, oh yeah, that thing. You don't like Evan Solo Saver? Because you're a player. No, Your it, opinion it, is irrelevant. It, the, the problem with that, describe Evan Solo okay. Saver, and I'll tell you why I don't like it. Evan was our primary go-to backup DM when Highcove couldn't be there. Evan DMs things for us at Fun and Games. Evan is an outstanding DM, especially from a player satisfaction perspective. He's fantastic at fourth. Yeah, his, his players just love playing with him all the time. He's a really, really fun guy. Very Keeps the game really focused on, like hilarious fun you know game uh but he is does can just he he doesn't have that he doesn't get angry when his monsters don't get to do what they want what he wants them to do he just does what he wants them to do anyway so for example he started just arbitrarily giving his solo monsters a save against effects that even saves couldn't end at the beginning of each of their turns so that he didn't have to have his monster sit there and do nothing I saw him doing this in one of my Delve Nights when I had not written it onto the monster and I was like, what are you doing? And he explained it to me and I thought to myself, that's good. I'm going to name this ability Evan Solo Saver and smack it on the front of every solo monster I make for Delve Night from now on. It's The difficulty is that controllers, Ed has somebody who who has played a, you know, a leader slash controller, mm-hmm. controller type character a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, controllers, most of what they do is status effect. So basically, it's it's like it's like a monster that says it's like when you fight a bunch of minions, the the striker feels stupid because oh one hit one kill. Okay, well that's my whole turn. Yeah. Whereas the leader can do the same job. When you're fighting a monster with Evan Solo Saber, if you're a controller or a leader whose whose attacks are largely controller attacks, um, as the cleric, the laser cleric, for instance, is right. which I played, uh, then you basically feel completely ineffectual because you hit him for three damage. Put an effect on him that goes away at the beginning of his turn, so it doesn't really even affect him. The reason we did it was specifically for Delve Knight, which is not base for. Oh, five, I, I, I yeah, totally understand. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. where you can walk in with a couple of dailies that stun a guy for a turn, and that guy doesn't get an attack off, which yeah. has happened to me. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that in the Tower campaign. Yeah. In fact, that happened about three sessions before Abyss. Also, uh, during the guidance, it happened to you in Delve Knight too, Roy Orbison. Oh, Jesus Christ. I remember that. He got stuck in a box. This is actually a good story to tell, too, because the story of the Orbisons is one of our, one of our Delve Knight, like, myth arc stories. One of the things of we are, with, of which we are the proudest and most deserve it. <laughs> As opposed to most other things we do. Uh, High Cove has had a Beholder mini since he, the beginning of his miniatures collection. And uh, I believe he showed up in... Monster Campaign. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, Monsters were PCs. Yeah, the, the monster so. campaign was the campaign in which all the players were monsters. So. That'll be several Delve Knight, that'll be several story times, and it will be our best storylines, because it was a really, really good campaign. Now, that is unsustainable. Uh, but the point of the monster campaign was the PCs are monsters, so get used to monsters with hopes and dreams and skill points. Mm-hmm. So if, um... Just a bugbear comes in, the players aren't like, a random encounter! Throw money at it! Until we can get swords out of it. Wait, no, other way around. Uh, they looked at it and said, hey, a bugbear, what are you doing? Uh, why, why are you stabbing me? Greetings, friend bugbear. Might we diplomacy? No, I see not. <laughs> <laughs> because bugbear. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, Roy Orbison. Drunk beholder. Beholders don't work by staying upright and just picking which lasers to shoot. 
Specifically, they tilt and pan their body around to get at the right angle to... This is hilarious uh, on the video stream. To point their eye stalks in the correct way to hit the same three lasers that they wanted that guy every turn. So I imagine a beholder in combat is a lot like one of those gyrospheres that they use to train astronauts. You're just wobbling all over the place. To the point where you can't tell the difference between a beholder who is in combat, you know, fleeing for his life, or a beholder that is merely sloshed. <laughs> and then they're orb-shaped, hence the name Orbison, <laughs> Roy Orbison, uh, you know. Which started a tradition of naming all of our Beholders yeah. After Singers. 60s rocker. It was, uh, you know... Man, I, how many people at that table got the Roy Orbison joke? Oh, I, certainly not me. I had to look him up later. Really? Oh, uh, whatever. I, I know I, the oldest person I know. Funny enough, I knew every guy in the Traveling Wilburys besides Roy Orbison. <laughs> That's a story. Even Jeff Lynn. Oh, wait. In fact, it's this story. Yes. Um, <laughs> That's where I'm going. Anyway. But Roy Orbison, drunk beholder, showed up a couple of times when I felt that I had an insufficiently high levity. Which is rare. Because look at me. Uh, so, at some point, in, you know, deference to High Cove's uh, prestigious D&D career, I was like, I'm going to make a Delve Night where the party farts Roy Orbison, drunk beholder. I'm going to put him in a warehouse so that he doesn't just fly away and laser the party from space, because that that's was... Just, a... That's just not entertaining. Yeah. Um... We're antagonistic, but we're not petty. So then, I well. was trying to be clever. And I was like, I know, I'll make a fun little joke out of this session, where the party walks into the warehouse and there's crates. So, given no monsters to fight, they'll be like, uh, I guess we just open crates. So, uh, you know, they'll pop open the crate that says A on it, and it'll have apples. And then they'll pop open a crate that has a bee on it, and it'll be full of a beholder. And I was Evan thinking, was oh, how, time. how so clever this will be. Ed was there at the time, so he said, that has a bee on it. Bees are going to come out. Do not open that box. Do not open that box. Do not open that Stop opening the box. Yeah. It's bees. Ah. I think the box of box of bees was maybe a joke from Tower Campaign? I think Nicolas Cage got his uh, opinion of bees from Evan. <laughs> so, the players are in the box. Air. Got his opinion Whatever. of bees from Evan. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you open the box, and there's a beholder kind of crammed in there. He, he just went, ah! And then everybody rolled initiative. And Roy lost. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a box, dear reader. Perhaps you are not a cat. But boxes have six sides, like a room. You're in a big box right now, probably. Unless you're jogging, in which case, stop it. We're gamers. Um... One of those boxes, Roy uh, burst out the wall of. So, he had three walls, a floor, and a ceiling. The players went first. A melee guy approached. Roy's sixth wall was now a defender. Mm-hmm. A beholder had no square to which to move and lives entirely on ranged attacks. Which draw attacks of opportunity, naturally. They might not have specifically for the eye rays. Mm-hmm. No, those were those were uh, cones. They were uh, blasts. Oh, so no, you're right. Close attacks okay. don't... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But... The, 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 the defender definitely went up, and I think with one finger, poked Roy in the eye. <laughs> then, a controller decided, I have an opinion about this too. I'm in fourth edition. What's the worst thing I could possibly do? Everything on my sheet. So he stunned him, or dazed him, did something that meant Roy did not get a turn. And then Brot waddled up. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, what is one really blender what we had was uh, <laughs> one of those, like, can of peanuts with a springy snake in it. And they opened it up, and the snake made it two inches out of the can before it was seized, shoved back in the can, and beaten to death. Have you guys ever seen, you guys, feel free to respond to me through Dave's email address, personal email address, here's his phone number. Have you guys ever seen those videos where they have those candid camera scare things where, you know, it's a statue that's just standing there, and then it suddenly moves and it scares people and everybody jumps and they giggle and it's hilarious? Every once in a while you'll see one person who recoils, brings up their right hand for defense, and just lances out with a right jab straight at the face that guy comes out. That was the party. Except the jab was made of, like, spikes. Mm. Mega Man spikes. Uh, so yeah. The roof of Bubble Man's arena spikes. The first appearance of Roy Orbison didn't go so well. It was pretty ignominious. I was not there that time. <laughs> Dave says distancing himself. <laughs> Dave was the crate. Not my fault. The second appearance of Roy Orbison was a little bit cooler. Uh, was it 
the Wilburys the second time, or was it the Orbison family the second time? The second time was the Orbison family. Okay. So by the time we brought it, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to Roy Orbison. I feel like I can do this concept justice. At that time, the Minis collection had grown. We had a Gauth. That's what they're called, right? G-A-U-T-H. It could be Gauth. It's like a sauna in here. Uh... Blake loves that movie. Blake <laughs> loves Weekend at Bernie's, too. The point is, it's a medium beholder. It's adorable. Uh, and then Duncan had acquired, who I wish was here for this recording, had acquired a... Like a dread beholder or something. I-tyrant? Uh, I-tyrant. Yeah, the mini is I-tyrant. An which tyrant. Is, which is a huge beholder with, like, glimmering metallic purple... Everything. Armor plates and yeah. The point is, it was big. So I asked Duncan if I could borrow that mini, and then we got to have a little Goldilocks-esque adventure with a huge beholder, a medium beholder, and a, a large beholder, a baby holder. Yeah. Well, no, a huge. Uh, the yeah. medium was and actually a beholder large. that was just right. Also drunk. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, we'd already used Roy as the medium beholder, so the uh, he was the standard by which beholders were judged. Yeah. So the lar- the, the huge beholder. Uh, became enough. Claudette Orbison, Roy Orbison's wife. Which I think Blake looked up. Yeah, I looked up his wife's name. He had some kids, too, and I don't remember what their names were. But I We think... ended up calling him Roy Jr. Yeah, we called him Roy Jr. Roy Jr. was fun because he made no attacks. Ever. He didn't have a single basic attack. But at the beginning of your turn, if you were in his aura, he could shoot you. So Roy Orbison would just go around and go, Yay! Run up near Brat and just turn to him and go, You're gonna get lasered later. Then Brad turns like, all right, mind it. Ah! He was right. (laughs) (laughs) Iko's adorable cat voice for the baby beholder floating around was definitely, uh, like... Internet, would you like to see a picture of my cat? It it was definitely the highlight of the night. Are you going to show a picture on your phone into the microphone? No, I'm going to show it to Dave. It's not the dumbest thing that... I've seen your damn cat. Who will narrate it to the microphone. Fine. It's not the dumbest thing that uh, I've done in an audio podcast. You've YouTubed them, right? Here he I can is. Link to your video. Here he is in a box, two thirds his size. <laughs> that is a cat contorted into a box, two thirds of his size. That is oh, true. Oh, cool. Yes, you're that's right. That's the big fluffy half Maine Coon one. That's not even the cuter cat. No, Copper's the is the adorable little. Yeah, she definitely got more points in charisma for fewer points in int and whiz. And you know what, Dex? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. She might have more points although, in con. Although part of that may be that she's oh. partially melted, but that's a story for another day. Um, yeah, Claudette being the woman, uh, it was the, like, powerhouse of the trio. As women are tend to be. By this point, we had met Julie. I want to say they took her down faster. She was a larger target, so I think the party assumed she was going to be scarier. And they were right. Uh, and they needed to solve her quickly. Um, so, but the point is, that was a fun encounter. I feel like the party really enjoyed the encounter. I also remember that Ray Jr. was the last monster standing and took them quite some time to finally dispose of because he was just running around in fact did you just like call a draw and have ray get away because i feel like they maybe couldn't i don't remember yeah i, I feel like that he was able to like fly to safety or something no don't confuse roy jr it's roy jr not with ray charles i sorry did i say ray from the one piece campaign who was also a baby holder well if yeah, i had thought about it i would have named him ray orbison because he shoots rays and is an orb yeah fair enough but I assumed that somebody else would get a Roy Orbison joke, and I forgot that everybody else was born in the 80s. So the um, the third time, I feel like, is the big hit. At the time, uh, Wizards had moved away from their collectible miniatures game model on D&D minis. And uh, we've mentioned this a couple of times at, in the lead-up for this. So if you recognize that and you know where this story is going, why? Why would you recognize the Traveling Wilburys? Um, during the, I want to say, 80s, they made an all-star band uh, called the Traveling Wilburys that composed of uh, Roy Orbison, Tom Petty, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, and Jeff Lynne, who, if he's the one you don't recognize, that's because he's the Electric Light Orchestra. If you recognize none of these, then you read haven't a heard, book. Yeah, you haven't heard music. And that was a band. Just a five-man band of those guys. It was like the freaking Justice League of, you know, rock. But And then uh, it was also all men, like the Justice League. And then, like, two months later, Roy Orbison died. They released I don't know. most of them an album. Yeah. 
but anyway, uh, as I was saying, at the time, uh, Watsy decided to move away from their collectible miniatures game business model for D&D Minis in favor of releasing these really nice uh, miniature collection boxes where they would have like six or five minis in like a nice display box. Right. I am holding uh, one of mine up to the camera right now. Uh, they had one that was had a bunch of dragons of different colors, and then they had one that was a variety of beholders. And included things like the uh, ice-themed Eye of Frost Beholder, the translucent Ghost Beholder that had its eye gouged out. Wizards felt very strongly about only releasing miniatures that could not be used to assist in other intellectual property. There are no uh, beholders in Savage Worlds. But anyway, I had gotten a copy to give to Hycove as a gift for some occasion. Oh, is that what that is? I thought we used Duncan's. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I got it to give to you. Okay. Now we did, we did borrow uh, Duncan's uh, Eye Tyrant again because oh, you're uh, right. There it is. Yeah, because with the, the, that, that kit only came with uh, four, with four, and we, for whatever reason, didn't want to use one of them. I feel like it was. Uh no, we had. Yeah, the ghost. Oh, right, that made a total of six. Yep. Yeah, so we had four plus the original Roy Orbison mini. We had five plus, plus the gigantic yeah. one. Um, Anyway, so the point is, I made each of these beholders a member of the Traveling Wilburys, you know, the five-man band, including Roy Orbison. It just fits so nicely. Uh, and that was it, it was... it was good because that session uh, started with the same warehouse that the players <laughs> had pancaked Roy Orbison in the first time all those years ago. I want to say realistically, that was like two or three years after. It was an early session. Yeah, yeah. Um... Only the players started on the outside with the following information. At the time of initiative, you are already running. You are being chased by six airborne beholders. You better get in that freaking warehouse. Five. Sorry, five airborne beholders. You better get in that warehouse so you have some cover. Because they are not going to be shy about just lasering you to death from the sky. Where you cannot get them. One player climbed up the building. Yeah, he thought it would be cute to be on the roof. It didn't work well. He ended up teleporting back inside the building. Oh, you're right. That wasn't the player who just died. That was brought. Really? I thought, what, oh, wait. That's it was right. Gray. I think Gray. A player yeah. was just standing there, lost initiative, and one of the beholders just rolled up, like, hey, and nuked him from orbit, <laughs> just dead. Yeah. One round later, brought ran in, just going, sorry guys, what I miss? Played by that same guy, because we're like, man, you just showed up. Here's and something else to play. Brought Brot probably had the highest kill rate of any of the PCs. He also had the, the way people played him. He also made the most sense. Being late while fleeing in terror. (laughs) Rod had found a way behind the guys who were chasing him. So, in 4th edition, Beholders usually have a move called Eye Raise, where they get to make some kind of uh, attack involving their choice of a variety of different ray attacks at their disposal. And I felt the need to make a joke out of each of these. So Ray had a Caustic Ray, an Alco Ray... Because he was drunk. A Confused Ray... Because he was drunk. And Ray Charles. Because it did blinded save ends. <laughs> um, Tom Petty had the Frost Ray, a uh, Freeze Ray. This mini is like an ice-themed beholder. A Fridger Ray. And, As in Frigerator. Yeah, and May Ray Jane. Because Blake loves Spider-Man. He has a song called Mary Jane. One but Last Dance With. They're also shoes. What do you want from me? Um, also Marijuana. Right. He doesn't know that. <laughs> yeah, George Harrison had a here ray. Blake, Blake is from a state that can't win a Super Bowl. A comes ray, which I think actually dragged people towards yeah. them. A V-ray and a sun ray. So he could sit there and go, here comes the sun. It made perfect sense because the here ray did more damage if you were far away. The comes ray pulled. The sun ray did fire and blinded. The the ray was what was left. What did it do? Necrotic damage, and if the target is bloodied, they are dazed, then dazed and weakened, then killed. Okay, then. Oh, right, yeah, okay, so. So in terms of making players angry, that was the ray. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was the ray. (laughs) We had a rolling ray, a stone ray, a folk ray, and a flower ray on Bob Dylan. All sensible. And then... uh, And if you're listening, man, I hope you figured out we were talking about Bob Dylan from those names. And then uh, on Jeff Lynn, remember, he's the Electric Light Orchestra. We had an Electric Ray, a Light Ray, an Orchestra, and Ray-Bam! 
Which target can't see, hear, or target any non-adjacent square, creature, or object. Because that's what you get for wearing sunglasses at night. I don't think ELO had anything to do with sunglasses. No. Anyway, yeah. But that was a joke our players would get more than anything ELO did. I hope you had. I hope you found any of those funny. Anyway, and then when they killed them all, uh, a ghost beholder, because we had that final ghost beholder mini showed up, and then they had to take that down. But I don't know. I feel like that one was a was a reasonable success. Certainly, we killed a player on the first initiative, so I that gave it. us the adrenaline moment. I liked it because the Wilbury ghost had two powers: one, when all other Wilburys are dead, I show up; two, when I die, I make twenty attacks. <laughs> all right, he just shot every laser all of them yes. had. The Wilbury ghost was the ghost of mutually assured destruction. Nice. Makes an attack with each of its twenty rays. <laughs> Is there any is there any uh, lesson of the um, B material that we should uh, th- th- like? It all comes together. Players have a lot of tolerance for unfair difficulty if they come in expecting it. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That was the period. Like, like I said, it became a thing where we just kept throwing the the CR the challenge rating the equivalent challenge rating of the Delve Knights was usually like. Crazy high. Well, the way that it worked, if I want to, uh, if I remember correctly, was that uh, starting at the beginning of each semester, because we were on a college campus and uh, you're, a lot of your your walk-ins are students. At the beginning of the college semester, we would start at level one, and oh, then yeah. each month we'd escalate by a level. And then at the beginning of the winter semester or the spring semester, they would reset back down to one, and then it would go up to about six. And then over summer, we jumped it up. And dear chivalrous suitor. For every level we escalated, I had to redesign eight NPCs. So That's true. Me. <laughs> it was a lot of work. However, that means that I have sixty-four low-level NPCs just ready to go. Yeah, they're actually. I've got. A, I've got more than one copy of a character sheet for each iteration of each of those characters in the front of this binder, <laughs> which is a really bad idea. Because if two people say, "I want to play Brat," we're like, "Well, we have one bugbear mini at all." So, you get the B-team bugbear mini, where he only has one weapon and also is Snow White. <laughs> the ghost beholder. But, uh, extra regardless bug. of what the mini actually was. But you had the zombie bugbear, remember? He's not actually a zombie. He's just white. He's like Arctic or something. I thought he had like an arrow sticking out of him. That, that, that could still just be a bugbear. <laughs> He's all shambly. But uh, you, uh, you did start throwing much higher challenge level stuff mm. at the party. Right. I remember that. They deserved it the whole time. We just finally caught up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in general, when you cu- can custom build a character at level, and it's not just a guy with a bunch of equipment they scavenged from their adventures, mm-hmm. I think part of it is that you know these these ultra customized. I created a character at level ten characters that you bring in with 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 access when you know, when people start bringing their own characters with access to a lot of source books. Although I think we actually did restrict Delve Knight even for people bringing their own stuff. Did did we? Not much. I, mean, I don't recall banning anything during the We didn't like a book that you buy in the store. Yeah, we didn't like anything where you had to pay the monthly fee for it. Yeah. Ah. Right. Right. Not the end of a Dragon magazine. Nothing out of like uh, a particular like can't like a, a module book. It had to be something out of one of the books you could buy in the store. Mm. And the thing about it was that, um, like, yeah, when you have these custom built characters, and the One Piece campaign was the same way. I think you have to. You have to aim challenges several levels above the party. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, it's not a fair fight otherwise. A, a big part of that is that you only fought once a day in Delve Knight. That's true. So you true. could unload all your dailies at the beginning. Yanni. And, um... Yeah. There, there are six stories around that. Did we tell the story in the first one about how he got burned to the ground? That's... Do we want to end with that one? Or start uh, the next one with it? You know what? That's B material. Okay. So... <laughs> I have... Just because it's not that funny. This goes back to the monster campaign, actually. If you, uh, I'll, I'll do this quicker than I normally do. No? Nope. It goes back to Jimmy's epic level campaign. Oh, you're right. So it goes even farther back. But the point is, I had a character who was a robot, and he was, like, a member of an organization of emancipated robots who had this twisted goal of, like, emancipating more robots everywhere. Like, has a thing about this. This is in D&D, though. So, you know, you don't run into a robot every day. <laughs> um, and I... I wrote basically a whole freaking module for this, uh, like, just by virtue of my backstory, complete with entire stats for, like, the leader of this organization and example NPCs that come from it. But there were three in particular, three epic-level monsters that are all an intelligent version of an existing 3.5 construct. And I called them the Machine's Top Brass. 
because the name of the organization was The Machine. Did and these, these, hmm? these happen in the Escalation series? They, I brought them back in the Escalation okay. series, hot. but they fought them one at a time over the course of three weeks okay. before that. I missed one of these weeks because I was out of town. Right. Um, Super Collider. Yeah. They were the... Uh, anyway, so it was three guys, or three big monsters. They're all big, too. Like, the smallest of them was gargantuan. Um, a wicker man, druid. Wicker man is a, is a big wicker golem that druids build. Evil druids, specifically. Its job is, if you haven't seen the Nicolas Cage movie, it wanders, it wanders around, picks people up, puts them in this chest, and sets itself on fire, and it's immune to fire. So it just cooks them. Uh, a juggernaut, which is like a block of concrete that loves to cast force magic, like force wall and magic missile. And its favorite thing to do in the world is run people over. I made that one a rogue. For and, obvious reasons. And uh, a adamantium golem, which is from the epic level handbook in 3rd edition, and it's as scary as it sounds. Uh, only this one is also a monk. He was the door guard of their headquarters. Uh, and their names were Wickerman Tweed, Train Rex, and Collider. It wasn't Super Collider, okay. it was just Collider. He became Super Collider. We had Super. Yeah, a transformation. Um, and I had the play, so I made up a fourth edition version of this because you know fourth edition is great for making up monsters. And I had the players fight them each one in over the course of three weeks. The story we're getting at is one of the weeks when the players were fighting Wickerman Tweed, who is you know twigs that are three thousand three thousand feet tall. Um, Yanni was there. We can say his name. Yeah. He's been playing Susan. Yanni usually didn't get to attend Delve Night. He was just busy on that. Uh, that night of the week. This time he got to, through arcane reasons, and got to attend basically his first and probably last Delve Night because he was working. We had really high turnout for that Delve Night, too. I think we had seven or eight players, but we couldn't make a second table, so it just only ended had one up being... Man tweed. Yeah, it ended up being a huge number of people in the same uh, game. And we needed nine people to split up. The Wickerman Tweed Mini was a rather impressive mini. It's made of what, twisted copper wire into yeah. a cage. Yeah. It was actually... Somebody built into this Into a thing. cage in the shape of a person. Yeah. It's a really impressive thing. Yeah, somebody built this thing. Yeah. Thank you. I'm great. So, Wickerman Tweed's job was grabbing guys, stuffing them inside his belly, and then uh, giggling like he's in a Grimm's fairy tale. So, he eventually managed to grab Yanni. We're thinking, well, this is, you know, good for Yanni. Now that he's here, he gets to participate as much as possible by being eaten and digested by twigs. So, shoved him, shoved Yanni into his stomach, shut the door, and just kind of stood there posing. Waiting for the players to set him on fire. Because the whole thing is that he needs to be on fire to really work. But he doesn't set himself on fire. We were hoping a player was dumb enough to think, Hey, a gigantic dried twig monster. I'm going to throw some fire at that. What happened was that uh, one of our regulars was there. Whose name has not been pensioned on this podcast. Um, he was playing Pettery Quettery. Whose name was determined randomly, I don't know if you can tell. But was a halfling sorcerer. So he looked at that and said, Yanni is in its stomach. What are the chances that I'll hit Yanni with this thing, with uh, with my attack? I said, very good. Yanni will take half the damage that you deal with any attack. And this was supposed to be that oh no moment. Where the yeah. players looked at it and said, we need to get someone out of there with skill checks or cleverness or three riddles or whatever it is I to get whole, this guy out. I had a whole system designed for that. This guy instead looked at that and said, alternately... And just fired the biggest attack he had. I think it was a sun ray. Did six dice of damage and crit. And then he spent an action point and threw another daily. It was hilarious. Here's the thing. The crit didn't kill Yanni. It knocked him to zero. And we looked at it and we said, well, Yanni's going to die from the second attack. Which killed Wickerman and set him on fire. But then we stopped and said, wait, wait, wait. A crit knocks someone out of the cage. This was in the rules. This is hard-coded right here. So, Yanni, you've fallen out of the cage for the first attack. However, the next, the exact next thing that happens is that action point, which kills Wickerman Tweed and sets him on fire. And Wickerman Tweed is not going to blast off like Team Rocket. He's going to fall where he stood. So, a three-ton monster made of burning logs just fell on Yanni's unconscious body. Yanni, you're dead anyway. And that was Yanni's last time at Delve Night. So, was this like, this was just like a one round fight? Because I don't think I was there for that one. It was like three. Two and a half. Yeah. Tweed did not get a third turn. Yikes. They burned him down in a hurry. And by the way. Get it? 
He burned brightly and briefly, which was more or less what yeah. I had in mind for the monster. Um, he had a whole bunch of little, it was, like... It was a Delph Knight in summer. We all had places to be. Rita was open. He had a bunch of little, like, wicker, mo- like, wicker like minions that were, like, tiny flying monsters. Bogans. Yeah. Yeah. That he released from his cage in the first round and was like, fly, my pretties. And then those were running around harrying people. Um, and even with all that, I'm pretty sure they killed every single one of them and Tweed by the end, but halfway through the third turn, before Tweed got his third turn. We had a lot more sessions end in the middle of round three than we did in the middle of round one, two, or four. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. It's enough time for everyone to unload their dailies. Yep, that's three dailies. Yeah. <laughs> nope. It's four dailies, action point. Yeah. Yeah. So, the first round was usually daily, action point, daily. <laughs> Delphine players were so terrible. Thanks, Delphine players. I, you know what? I can't be that mad at them. Because, heck, I'd do it. I'm that foolish. That's why I design. I build the weapons, and he uses them. Because neither of us can be trusted on the other side of the screen. <laughs> hashtag, what would jerk do? <laughs> There's your hashtag for this one. You got a better idea? No. Exactly. All right. I think that's the end of episode one, episode B of uh, Delph Knight. All right. If you don't have a character, we'll provide one for you. Right. You don't have a reason for being there, neither do we. But now, I'm having internal cramps from my guts being compressed all day, so... You get used to it. This podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com I Podcast Magic Missile, attacking the darkness since 2012.